Well, good morning. We are continuing in the book of Acts today. Uh, Last week we saw that Paul is headed towards Jerusalem and he kind of says, whatever is going to happen to me is going to happen to me. Um, It doesn't look real great. Um, I'm being warned all over the place, but I am still going to Jerusalem. Um, He addressed the Ephesian elders and he continued on his journey. Um, On his next couple of stops, we get kind of a repeated thing in chapter 21 of people saying, uh, we don't think it's a good idea for you to go to Jerusalem. Um, we really don't think it's going to end well. We think you're going to get arrested. And even a prophet kind of comes out and he like ties his hands with a belt and says, this is what's going to happen to you. Um, and Paul listens and says, okay, but he still continues on his journey to Jerusalem. And so when he arrives in Jerusalem, um, he met with the elders in Jerusalem of the church there. Um, And they supported and praised what he was doing. They were glad that Gentiles were coming to faith in Christ and that God was working through the Spirit all over the place. Um, But some people were not super pumped about that. They were not happy about what was happening and what Paul was doing. And so the elders recommended that Paul take a vow um, with these four other guys and spend time in a time of purification in the temple for this to kind of prove that Paul didn't just throw out all of the Jewish law and all of the Jewish customs, that those were still um, okay for people to do. Um, You just didn't have to do them. And so he did this, uh, but then somebody saw him in the temple and they remembered, oh, Paul has been hanging out with this guy who was a Greek, uh, meaning not Jewish, and we think he took that guy into the temple with him. And so that wasn't true, but that didn't matter anyway. So this guy gets upset and he says he took non-Jews into the temple. They go round up some friends. Um, They start a riot. They go in, they grab Paul, they pull him out of the temple. um, And then the local law enforcement gets involved, kind of break up the riot. Um, And then for some reason, and there's a lot of debate about why they actually let him do this, the um, people who arrested Paul allow him to address the crowd. Um, after he has been arrested. And so um, that is what we're going to look at this morning, this speech by Paul after he's been arrested to this group of Jews um, who are basically going to say, wipe him off the face of the earth, um, is what they're going to say about Paul. And so that's what we're looking at this morning in Acts chapter 22. And so we'll be looking at verses 1 through 22 if you want to turn there. Um, It's page 989 on the Bible that is in front of you, or you can follow along in our app or any Bible app that you have. But let's read this together um, so that we can hear Paul's speech, and then we'll work our way through it. And it says, When there was a, a great hush, he addressed them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense before you. When they heard that he was addressing them in Aramaic, they became even quieter. And he continued, I am a Jew, born in Tarshish and Cilicia, and brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the law of our ancestors. I was zealous for God, just as all of you are today. I persecuted this way to the death, arresting and putting both men and women in jail, as both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. After I received letters from them to the brothers, I traveled to Damascus to arrest those who were there and bring them to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was traveling and approaching Damascus, about noon, an intense light from heaven suddenly flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light But they did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What should I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, 
Get up and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told everything that you have been assigned to do. Now, since I couldn't see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and went into Damascus. Someone named Ananias, a devout man according to the law, who had a good reputation with all of the Jews living there, came and stood by me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And in that very hour I looked up and saw him. And he said, The God of our ancestors has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear the words from his mouth, since you will be a witness for him to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you delaying? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And after I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him telling me, Hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. But I said, Lord, they know that in, the synagogue, in synagogue after synagogue, I had those who believed in you imprisoned and beaten. And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I stood there giving approval and guarding the clothes of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. They listened to him up to this point. Then they raised their voices, shouting, wipe this man off the face of the earth. He should not be allowed to live. Right? What a great reaction to a speech. I thank you guys for not saying that to me after I finish my speeches on a Sunday morning. Uh, but as I went through this this week, what we see in this speech is basically Paul's testimony. Right? If you've ever been trained to give your testimony, you get, there's three parts. Right? It's what your life was like before Jesus, how you met Jesus, and what your life was like since you met Jesus. And that's exactly what Paul does here in this. So we're going to look at this like it's Paul's testimony. Um, but Paul, as he normally does, any speech that he gives, he tailors or emphasizes certain things based on his audience and who he is talking to. And so here he is talking to Jews. And so you're going to see the Jewish parts of his life and the Jewish characters in his testimony emphasized in this story. So we'll listen for those as we go along, um, but the, what we really want to see, just the overall theme of this, is that Paul has been transformed by grace, right? He was given something he didn't deserve, he was not worthy of it, but it changed his life and gave him a new purpose and a new direction, and so that's what we see in this. So first, I want us to see in Paul's, the first part, is that grace doesn't care who you were or even who you are. Right, we see this in the first verses, verses 1 through um, 5. It's, so this is where Paul is explaining what his life was like before Christ. And he starts with the basics of his life, right? where he was born, where he grew up, and where he went to school, right? which is what we would do when we start saying, hey, where, what tell us about your life? Um, and so all of that pointed to him sort of being a big deal. Gamaliel was one of the respected teachers um, he's also very careful to say he was a strict follower of the law. He was very zealous and even says, just like you are, right? He compares him, himself to them. And then after he did that and he got his education, he went on to persecute the followers of the way or followers of Jesus. Now, from a Jewish perspective, this is everything you could hope for. He was doing everything that he was supposed to do from a Jewish perspective. From a Christian perspective of this believer in Christ, it's not great where he ended up, right? But just a couple of notes on how Paul has come full circle on a couple of things. Um, he starts his speech where it says, brothers and fathers, this is exactly the way that Stephen 
started his speech, when he gave his speech. And if you remember, he was guarding the coats, and he brings that up here. I was guarding the coats and approving that. So it's interesting that he starts his speech with the same exact phrase that Stephen did those years ago when he was being killed. He's also experiencing in this moment exactly what he used to do to others. He used to travel around persecuting and rounding up Christians and arresting them and throwing them into prison and saying they should be killed. Paul finds himself in exactly that situation. A crowd has gathered. They have rounded him up. They have arrested him. They are saying he should be killed. He is experiencing exactly what he used to do. I also think just at this point, it's important to note that in this point in his life, he was doing what he was convinced was the right thing to do, right? Based on his upbringing, based on his education, based on his understanding of Scripture, he was doing what he thought was right. And this is why last week we talked this, and I just want to remind us here, this is why we always need to keep growing, to keep learning, to keep seeking more knowledge and understanding of the Scriptures and how God wants to use us. Right? Because Paul thought he had it figured out, but there was more to learn, more to know that completely changed his life. And so for us, we need to continue to grow. We need to continue to learn, to change, because God will continue to grow and grow in our understanding and change how we live our lives. And at this point in Paul's life, um, if the message is to spread the gospel or the good news of Christianity, um, Paul is not the guy that we would pick for the job. Right? As believers, we would say, well, maybe we could find a way to eliminate Paul, maybe get him out of the way or get him to leave us alone um, or just avoid him at all costs. I don't think we would say, this is the guy that we need. This is the guy who can help us the most. Right? But Paul's story is a reminder that God in his grace can use anyone. Right? He can use anyone. If he can use Paul, who persecuted, arrested, and celebrated Christians being killed, he can use anybody. And we may be tempted to say, well, God can't save me or God can't use me because I'm broken or I'm guilty or I'm ashamed or I'm weak or I'm afraid. Right? But, but that's the point of grace. That's the point of grace. He uses people who are in all of those categories because it's not what you contribute. It's what he gives you. It's what he does in you. It's how he changes you, right? Grace is getting what you don't deserve and being used by God through that, right? Because if we're honest, none of us deserves grace. None of us do all good things all the time. All of us are sinners. All of us fall away. All of us are selfish. All of us turn away from God to other things. None of us deserve grace. But God's grace doesn't care who you are. It doesn't care who you were. God can still use you no matter what that is. It overcomes all of that because he gives it to us freely. And next we see in the middle of Paul's story that grace will find you. And so we see this in verses 6 through 10. Right, this is the middle part of Paul's testimony of how he met Christ. We've seen Luke's recounting in chapter 9 of Acts, and this is Paul's perspective on his conversion. So Paul is on his way to Damascus, and Jesus breaks into his life. There is no doubt that it is Jesus and that it has happened. Paul doesn't doubt. 
he believes that it's Jesus, and he responds like he believes that it's Jesus. Um, And other people around him eventually come to believe this same thing, that he encountered Jesus on this road. Um, One of the reasons we know that is Paul is included in this group called Apostles, Um, And so to qualify to be an apostle, I'm going to say this is capital A apostle, not little a apostle, which we could be included in the little a part. But big A apostle are those who had a direct encounter with Jesus. And so for Paul, he came a little late to the party, but he had this encounter on the road to Damascus, which qualified him as a direct encounter with Jesus on the road. So he gets to be an apostle. But when Jesus enters your life or calls you to himself, just like in Paul's life, there will be no doubt. You will know. And this is a question I actually get more often than any other question is, how will I know it's God? Whether it's something you're hearing, whether he's speaking to you or answering a prayer or whatever it is, how will I know that it's God telling me to do this? And this is not a helpful answer, but the best answer I have, maybe you can ask Gino after the service, he might have a better answer. Um, But in my experience, the best answer I have is, you just do. You just know it's him. It's different than any other voice that you hear. What he tells you will always align with Scripture. It will always build off of his principles. It's always a little different. Well, at least for me, it's always a little different than what I would choose to do on my own. Right? It's not quite the same. Not that I would do bad things, but it's something a little more challenging, a little further out than what I would normally do. But I think that over time, as we listen to him and listen for him and ask him, it's sort of like a tuning of your ear, right? to hear his voice, to be able to pick his voice out over everything else that we hear. And so as we listen and we accept that, we can hear, and then you'll probably say, well, I just know it's him, right? Just like Paul, he knew it was Jesus. But I also think Paul's response to encountering Jesus on this road is perfect, right? If you look at what he said, what does he say? He says, what should I do? Jesus has broken into his life. He has radically changed his understanding of who Jesus is. And his question is, what should I do? What a great question. Right? I think this is the same question that we should continue to ask today, right? In our prayers, or even when we get up in the morning, God, what should I do? What should I do? I'm a Christian. What do I do now? I woke up this morning. This is what I can do. This is where I'm at. This is how I'm feeling today. What should I do? Right? To continue to ask that question for the rest of our lives. What should I do? Because now, Paul's whole life, everything he's done up to this point, he had this plan, he was working forward, he was doing great things, and then, in a moment, all of that becomes almost non-existent, way less important, and so he's like, what do I do now? We just continue to ask that. Because God broke in and he found Paul through Jesus. And Paul makes it clear, he was in this story and other places, he was going to continue to do what he was planning to do. He was going to go to Damascus, he was going to round up Christians, he had letters in his hand, he was going to arrest them. But God broke into his life. God initiated that work in Paul's life. God reached out to him through Jesus. 
right? Which is a reminder again to us that Jesus is not gone. He is still working in the world. He is not dead. He is not gone. He is risen and he is alive and he is working. And once Paul experienced him, it changed what he believed about Jesus. As I thought through this, this is sort of uh, the classic line. You know, people say, well, once I see it for myself, then I'll believe it. Well, this is Paul seeing it for himself. And once he sees it and experiences it, he believes it. And that flip switch is flipped and he is different from this point forward. So what we see is that grace breaks in. It breaks into your life. It'll break in even when you aren't looking for it. This is not what Paul was planning that day. This was not what he was planning for his life, but grace showed up in Paul's life and said, I choose you. I can use you. I can save you. I can change you. So grace reminds us that it can show up at any time, whether you're already a believer or not yet a believer. It can show up in our lives and give us great things because God works for our good even when we don't know it even when we don't see it, right? Are we going to discount that God was working in Paul's life up to this point and he just showed up and used him from... No, God was working all along, but it didn't look like it. We couldn't see it. We didn't know what he was doing. But God was preparing Paul for his ministry, even in all the things that he did, which is hard for us to see. But I also want us to see the last, the third part of Paul's story. Because grace will give you purpose. And we see this in the second part, verses 11 through 20. This is what happens to Paul after he meets Christ. And so God sent Ananias to Paul. Um, And Paul, in his story, just the way he talks about Ananias, this is where the the Jewish part of the story kind of gets um, bumped up a little bit because he says, um, you know, Ananias, he's devout and all of you guys like him and he has a good reputation um, among you. So Ananias came. You guys remember Ananias, right? He's, maybe he was there. I don't know. And so he does that. And then he talks about right, the God of our ancestors. And so when he says that, for us, you can think of the Old Testament phrase, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that's what he's saying. And so that would have been like flashing lights for Jewish people. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appointed you to know, to see, and hear right? To know his will. He appointed Paul to know God's will, to know what his plan was for him, to be able to be used to follow what God was doing in the world, to see the righteous one, right? The righteous one is a reference to Jesus, that Paul was able to see Jesus on the road and experience him, and to hear his words, right? To hear what he was calling him to do so that he could be a witness, so that he could testify to what God had done in his life through Christ on the road to Damascus. And so Paul was going to be this person who delivered the word far away, which we know because we're further down in history. But he gives us this from the very beginning, right? In verse 21, he tells him to go because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So I think what's happening here is God is using Paul's past, 
but not in the way that we normally think. Usually we think that's a positive, but God understands in what Paul has done in rounding up Christians that the people in Jerusalem are not going to listen to Paul because they're going to be like, well, he's just going to say, oh, you should believe this. And then once we believe it and say we do, he's going to arrest us and take us to jail. So it's going to be really hard for Paul to evangelize in Jerusalem, at least at this point. Right? And so God says, I understand that. I understand where you've been. I understand what you've done. I understand how people perceive you. And so we're still going to use you, but I'm going to send you far away where you're not going to have the same problems you're going to have in Jerusalem. Right? And the same thing is true for us. Yes, we all have a past. We all have things that we have done. We all have these experiences And God knows that, and He understands that, and He knows how to use those things in our lives. Whether those are good things of skills and talents and experiences that you've had, or those are hard things that may make it harder for you to minister or talk to or engage with certain people. He understands that, but God is still going to use you. No matter what you've done, no matter what has happened. Right, Just like He used Paul, He knew exactly what to do with Paul in this situation. Because what was interesting to me is Paul still went to Damascus. When he started that day, his goal was to end up in Damascus. And he still ended up in Damascus. But along the way, something changed. The destination didn't change, but the purpose and the mission that Paul was on did change. It was different when he got there than what he thought. And it made me just think about us, because I often struggle um, with this, and, and maybe you guys too are not, but like, as a believer in Christ, I do a lot of things every day that everybody else does, right? I get up in the morning, I get ready, I take my kids to school, I go to work, I eat food two or three times a day. I do a lot of things that everybody else on the planet, or at least in Austin, does on a daily basis, And so my struggle has always been, how does that look different for a believer in Christ? Am I supposed to be grocery shopping differently than everybody else so people know I'm a Christian when I'm picking stuff? Like, I don't know what that looks like. And so it's always been a struggle for me of of how how do you live as a believer when so many of the things that we have to do are similar to what everybody else is doing? But I think this sort of speaks to that, or at least it did to me this week. Right, because Paul still went to Damascus, but his purpose and mission changed along the way. No matter who you are, you're still going to get up, you're going to go to work, you're going to go to the doctor's appointments, you're going to eat lunch, you're going to eat dinner, you're going to go shop, you're going to do all of these things that everybody else does, but the purpose and the mission have changed. They're not the same as they were before. Right Now, all of a sudden, every meal is an opportunity to share, to pray, to fellowship, to encourage, to get together with other believers. It creates this new opportunity, this new purpose that we can do within it. Every trip of the, to the grocery store becomes an opportunity to show love and kindness and grace to others because we could use more of that at grocery stores. Yeah. <laughs> right? So we may still do some of the very same things you do 
that everybody else does. Or if you become a believer, you may be like, oh, I need to do completely different stuff. Well, yes, some of it, yes. But those normal, everyday things, we're still going to do them. But they have a different purpose and a different mission. They are changed because we have encountered Jesus. Right? Just like Paul, he went to Damascus in the service of God. What he thought he was doing was in service of God at the beginning, but it ended very differently than when it started. Right? You guys aren't on, very few of you are on social media, but there's a how it started and how it's going meme, and this would be Paul's, right? This is how it started, right? He's got letters in his hand going to arrest people, and how it ended, he's preaching the gospel to people, right? It's one of those. It's very different. So I think for us, it's, it's kind of a similar thing. It's our call to balance, right, a radical life of following Jesus with just the normal things of life. And all of those normal things now have purpose and mission behind them as we live this out. That our destinations may not have changed, the things we do may not have changed that much. But what we do in those things and how we do those things is radically different with Jesus. And so he gives them this speech and he kind of lays it out and he says, this is what happened and there's witnesses to this. And then we get to verse 22. And they listened to him up to this point. And then they raised their voices shouting, wipe this man off the face of the earth. He should not be allowed to live. So you may ask, well, why did they listen to him up to this point? And this is the point they said, oh, this is enough, and now we need to kill him. Well, why were they so upset? Well, what they were really upset about was he was telling people that they could belong to God. They could respond to Jesus. They could be a part of God's family and not do all of the Jewish things that they had done. They didn't have to be circumcised. They didn't have to convert. They didn't have to do all of these steps, follow the dietary laws and all of these other things. They could just go straight to God. That's what they were really upset about. And I thought, you know, we would never do something like that. But I think we actually do this sometimes, where we say, when we see somebody come to faith from a hard life or at the end of their life, and we say, well, I had to do all of this stuff. But they didn't. They just got in at the end. They just gave their lives to Jesus at the end, and they get the same thing that I got. Or they got to have all this fun and do all the things they want, and then they got saved, and they get the same thing that I got. But I did what was right, and I went to church, and I shared the gospel, and did all of this stuff. Right? I think that's sort of what they're saying. But we did all of this stuff to be right in God's sight. And you're just going to give them the same thing that I'm getting? But that's grace. Right? Everybody gets it whether you deserve it or not, whether you've done the right thing or what you thought was the right thing for your whole life or whether you've never done it. When Jesus breaks into your life, if you respond and give your life over to him and say, I know I'm broken, I'm a sinner, but Jesus gave his life on the cross for me and you paid the penalty for my sin so that I could have life. If you accept that and believe that and give your life over to him, just like Paul, and say, what do I do now? 
then everybody gets salvation. Everybody gets to be in God's family. That's grace. Everybody gets it. And so they're complaining that the grace and the gospel are for everyone. Anybody can get it. Because it's so easy for us to say, well, it's the gospel plus doing these other things. It's the gospel plus going to church or the gospel plus, I don't know, being Baptist or the gospel plus sharing the gospel or the gospel plus these things that we think we have to do. But it's not that. It's the gospel only. That's grace. That's what God gives us. It only requires us to put our trust in Jesus and all the other things later will work themselves out. So as we kind of bring this all together and think about what this is calling us to do, what we learn from Paul's testimony, and first is just to trust the gospel alone. It's Jesus that makes the difference. It's not anything that Paul did that made the difference in this story, except recognizing that it was Jesus and saying, Jesus, I believe in you. What do I do now? That was Paul's contribution. Jesus did everything else, and the same is true for us, is we trust in him alone, not all of the other things that we do or we think help us. Those, those are good things, and we should still continue to do them. But we trust in the gospel alone. And then secondly, we're called to the same thing that Paul was called to do, and that is to be a witness, to give your testimony, just like Paul. This is what my life was like before. Then I met Jesus, and this is what it's like now. And you may have 60 years of this is what it's like now, but your life as a believer doesn't look the same as it did 60 years ago when you got saved. Jesus has worked in your life and changed you over that period of time. So even you look very different than you did 30 years ago, right? If you've been following Christ that long. So your testimony may be, I met Christ and I continued to grow in what I knew about him and how my experience changed. That it was bigger than I even imagined. Right? But we're called to the same thing, to be a witness. Whether that's near or whether that's far, it's the same call that Paul has been given to be a witness, to share our testimony of how grace has broken into our lives and changed us. So let's be witnesses. Whatever you have done, whatever has happened, however God has entered your life and however he's changed you, people need to hear that. Even other believers need to hear that. It encourages us. It helps us to move forward, especially those who live in a broken world that feels increasingly like we have no hope. Those people especially need to hear that. So let's trust in Jesus that he is working in us, that he will give us the grace that we need to overcome whatever fears or hesitations we may have and be witnesses of Jesus in the world. Will you guys pray with me this morning? God, we come before you and we thank you for your grace. We thank you for what you've done for us, that you do, uh, for, for most of us here, you have broken into our lives and you have saved us. You have changed us. You have made us new. And I pray that in our faith, in our trust in you, that we would continually ask the question, what do I do now? What should I do today? How should I follow you? Where are you leading me? Where can I go? 
What can I do? What can I say? How do I give impact and purpose and meaning to the everyday things of life? So God, help us to lean on you, to tune our ears to hear you so that we can hear your whispers, we can hear your urgings, so that we can follow your will. So God, help us to trust in you above all and to help to spread this message of grace to the nations, whether that's across the street or across the world, that you would use us to be a part of that. So God, help us to trust in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.